Amen. Well, we've been uh, going through the, the Gospel of Matthew, um, just for the sake of those who perhaps haven't been able to follow um, us up until now. Uh, we've seen the, the birth narratives. The, we've been at the, at the head or at the, the feet of the Savior there in Bethlehem. We've seen the, the different reactions of those that uh, were there in the city of Bethlehem. We've seen the cruelty of, uh, of Herod. We've seen the, the, the desire to exalt and worship and praise the king that was born by the, the three, uh, not the three, the, the wise men. And uh, we've then come to, we've jumped from there 30 years into the, into the future uh, of that passage. And we arrive in the days that John the Baptist was in the wilderness preaching uh, to all of Judea. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And last week we considered the ministry of John the Baptist. We considered uh, something about him. Uh, what is demeanor, his manner, his, his, we consider as well his message, um, his mission. And we started looking as, as the Lord Jesus is, uh, was being, intru- is being introduced uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. We, we saw as well the motivation and uh, what we were taught in, uh, in the words of John the Baptist where we were taught about the ministry, the person, and the work of our Lord Jesus. And now we come to verse 13, that, uh, which tells us that at the same time that uh, John the Baptist's ministry was at its uh, highest point, was at its peak, uh, and he was receiving crowds in the wilderness of, of Judea, and they were confessing their sins, and they were being baptized uh, and receiving the... Uh, after. Uh, confessing their sins, we read in verse 13 that Jesus left Galilee, where he was, and he went to the Jordan to be baptized by John. This is an extraordinary event. I know we don't attribute uh, measures or degrees of importance in Scripture all of it is divinely inspired. All of it is important and, and significant. But yet, there, is, there must be some way that we recognize that there are certain parts of the, of the history recorded, of the, of, the, uh, of the history of redemption recorded, that are just above, greater in in glorious significance. This is an extraordinary event. And the, and the, the fact that proves that is that so often the Gospels uh, um, record different aspects and not, very few episodes in the life of, uh, and ministry of our Lord Jesus get recorded by the four of them. But this is one of them. The four, evan- the four evangelists, the four writers of the Gospels record the baptism of our Lord Jesus. And there is a lot of important things for us to consider here that time will not permit us to look at everything, but, to, but, but we will address and look at some of these things. So today, just so we, we I find it helpful uh, to know where, 
the points that we will go through. I want us to look, first of all, something that I slightly skimmed through uh, this subject last week. I want to speak a little bit more about the, the nature of John's baptism. We, we touched on it very briefly last week. I knew that we were going to speak a little bit more this week. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, we're going to look at this controversial uh, or sometimes controversial um, uh, baptism of Jesus. Why is it? What is the reason why Jesus was baptized? There are different, uh, different opinions uh, on, on, the, on the reason. Number three, we will con consider uh, something of the spiritual significance of Jesus' baptism. What, what exactly uh, is happening there when, when the dove, uh, when the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, when this Father speaks? And fourthly and finally, we will conclude with just considering a little bit on how the, the baptism of our Lord Jesus relates to our own baptism to the baptism, how John the Baptist's baptism, our Lord's baptism, relates to Christian baptism that was instituted by our Lord at the end of his ministry. So, number one, John's baptism. We read that in, in this chapter that John was commissioned by the Lord to prepare a way for the Lord, to prepare, to make straight the ways of the Lord, to prepare a highway in the desert. We read in this chapter that he, he proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. He spoke with, a, with, a, with fervor. Uh, that was, uh, John spoke these things with the fervor that, that is only parallel with the, the rest of the Old Testament prophets. And crowds traveled, and crowds came and he heard. And we read as well that uh, upon the, the crowds confessing their sin, they repented, and they were, or they repented, they confessed their sin, and then uh, they were baptized. So John's baptism is a baptism that signifies, that illustrates repentance. I baptize you with water, John says, for repentance. And it's not too uncommon. Baptisms or uh, water rituals are, are, are a common feature, not only in the Jewish religion of the time, but throughout the world, many religions have had uh, water rituals that they use water to wash, to remove dirt, uh, to, to signify a, a symbol or to, to symbolize cleansing and renewal. There were many groups in these days, even in Israel, that had different kinds of water uh, rituals. We spoke last week about the Essenes. We spoke about the, 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 the Qumran community that was uh, very prevalent at this time, uh, an ascetic community that, that had multiple washings a day. We also saw, and I, I think I mentioned this, that was uh, more in line with the significance of what John was doing, that there was this tradition within the, the Jewish uh, uh, faith that a Gentile, upon conversion to Judaism, he would be cleansed, uh, he would be baptized. And we saw the, the significance of, of Jews 
coming out of, of their uh, cities, uh, coming out of Jerusalem into the desert and basically saying in their, uh, by their actions, we, are, we were Gentiles. We need to be baptized into to the people, of, to the nation again. But of significance, and I, I, I won't spend much time here now, um, but it's for us to understand the reason why Jesus came to be baptized is to understand the nature and the heavenly calling of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a rogue, as I said last week, was not a rogue uh, uh, adventurer that dropped on the scene with a message made up in his own mind. He was specifically called by God. And yes, he gets recorded for us on the New Testament portion, but he is out and out an Old Testament prophet. What he says carries just as much authority, just as much uh, um, carries just as much necessity to hear and obey as the words of Isaiah, as the words of Jeremiah, as the words of Elijah. He is a prophet sent by God. His his his. Uh, baptism is a baptism commissioned by God himself. So what he says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, as the Spirit commands him, as God commands him to say, he, it is law. It is lawful and it is law. And every devout uh, Jew is commanded to obey the voice and, and to, to obey the command. They, every Jew in the nation, in that sense, was liable to obey what John was saying, to come out, repent from their sins, confess, uh, repent, confess his sins, and be baptized. That was what every devout Jew should be doing at that time. It was preparatory. It was transitory. Yes. It was something that was not, that didn't happen up until now in the, in the history of salvation. But nonetheless, it was from heaven. To answer the question that Jesus uh, um, asks of the Pharisees, is, Jesus, is John's baptism from heaven or from man? It's totally from heaven. And that is important for us to realize here. Because so often we don't, we don't understand that clearly. We don't see that clearly. What John is doing is of God. And that becomes significant as we move to the second point, why is it that Jesus needed to be baptized? Why is it that Jesus was so uh, adamant that John had to baptize him? What, what, what does it mean? I think now, you, if, if you were slightly unsure, you can understand why Jesus then says it, was, it, it, it is important that we fulfill all righteousness, for us to fulfill all righteousness. Because when you come to this passage, you have these questions. In fact, John had this question as well. Why, Je why was Jesus coming to be baptized? He is sinless. John knows this. We as uh, readers of the scripture, we know this. Why did he have to be baptized by John the Baptist? You often hear it said, don't you? And I've heard this. Uh, often you hear it in, uh, in, uh, in baptisms. Uh, the person uh, being baptized will say, uh, or the, the pastor might say as well, uh, that Christ was baptized for us. That's what was happening there. Christ was baptized for us. And in a sense, it is true. But what does it mean to be baptized for us? What does it mean that he uh, received the ba uh, this baptism for us? 
Well, does it mean that Jesus was repenting on our behalf? No, repentance is individual. We repent from our sins. How can Christ repent for our sins? How can Christ repent from his sins, seeing that he never sinned? Throughout the gospel, Jesus Christ is presented to us as the one who forgives sins. Who has the power to forgive sins, be sinless. So why is it? And I think of note is the, number one, the nature of John's baptism. And number two, um, what he says to John. Notice in how he expresses to John his need to be baptized. So as he comes, and we'll consider this in a moment, but as he comes to, to John to be baptized, John, quite rightfully, he says, no, no, I won't baptize you. I have need to be baptized by you. I'm a sinner. I have nothing. Uh, you don't need what I have to offer. I'm in need of what you have to give. And what, what does Jesus say to him? Permit it to be so for now, or permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. He recognizes, or he's, he, he doesn't just say that it is appropriate for me to fulfill all righteousness, how, whatever that means, but he says it is appropriate for us to fulfill all righteousness. Do you see what's happening there? It's, it's more to do with, with, with an action that, that is important to be done at that time by both of them. It is important that Jesus fulfills all righteousness on his behalf, on his part, to be baptized. And it is important for John to fulfill his part as a prophet from God, baptizing Jesus. And that is important for us to note in order to understand the reason why Jesus needed to be baptized. That in order to, to fulfill all righteousness, both of them needed to do their part. Notice that also that as Jesus gives his explanation, he doesn't say that he needs repentance. He doesn't deny the assertion that John the Baptist makes, that he doesn't need to be baptized for repentance. He doesn't deny it. He just gives the reason Further, I am being baptized, Jesus says to John the Baptist, I am being baptized to fulfill all righteousness. This conflict is very interesting. Very, 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 very interesting. Because it is, first of all, it is only recorded for us by Matthew, not that there is significant in itself, but that it is recorded for us in this way. John says, I know who Jesus is. I know that he is sinless. I know that I, he doesn't need to be baptized. I know that I need to be baptized by him by, with the Holy Spirit and fi with fire. John pro uh, protests because he knows, number one, that he is lesser and Jesus is greater. Because he, 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 his baptism is, is, is lesser. It's only water. And Jesus is uh, one that baptizes uh, in the innermost and he protests because he knows that Jesus does not need it. What, in essence, what John is saying is, I need what, only, what you alone can give. You have no need for what I'm offering here. What a humility as well. The humility of, our, of John the Baptist that we should mark. He's not... 
he's not denying or he's not fleeing from performing his duties here. No, he's actually refusing an honor. But what I think Jesus is doing, what, I, what I'm convinced that Jesus is, is doing here by being baptized, he's saying, I need to be baptized because I need to identify with my people. Some commentators, some preachers have, have taken this a step too far, although you can get there, but you, you don't, don't just go from, from Jesus' baptism, oh, it's a, it's a, a substitutionary baptism, it's a vicarious baptism. You can get there. But it's not a, a, a one to A to B movement. It's an A, B, C, D, and then you get to Z. And that's where you get that substitution element. Um, some commentators say that he was being baptized for us. He was repenting on our behalf. But that cannot be so. What I think is happening, what, I, what I'm convinced clearly is happening, is that Jesus is identifying with the people of Israel. He's a Jew. He needs to be baptized. And this uh, new revelation that comes to, to the nation 400 year, after 400 years of silence, but this new revelation by, given by God himself, every devout Jew, every, every Jew was called to repent from their sins because the, the kingdom of God was at hand. And, and in that sense, Jesus, although he is sinless, as a Jew, he needs to fulfill that righteousness. There's, there's ample evidence of this happening in the Old Testament. Someone like Daniel. Daniel wasn't a part of those who sinned. Uh, he, wasn't a, uh, uh, he wasn't one of the faithful remnant. He was not one of those who had committed idolatry, who had abandoned God. But yet, uh, in a prayer that, he, that is recorded for us in the book of Daniel, he confesses that sin as a sin that he himself committed because he identifies with the nation. Moses does this as well. Although the sin was not, was not theirs, in a sense, because they are a part of the nation and they identify with the people, it is proper for them to pray in that way. What Jesus is doing is he's identifying with his people in their sin. The nation needs to repent and at this time, Jesus being a part of the nation, it's not so much that he comes to repent, but he needs to, to be a faithful Jew. There's another uh, similar situation in the, in the New Testament that, that is, in my opinion, parallel to this. It's the issue with taxes. It's, it's the issue with paying the, the taxes. He is not obliged, and he, he says this to Peter, he's not obliged to pay taxes, being the son of God. But because he is there, and so, uh, because he is here in this world, he incarnated he, as, a, 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 as a, a, a member of the nation of Israel, in order to stop all mouths from, from saying anything, from, from people looking and saying, oh, look at him. He, he says he's, he's, he's the Messiah, but he's not fulfilling his role. as he, He's disobeying here. He's, he's being unrighteous. He, he pays the taxes. And we have that miracle recorded for us. So It was imperative for Christ to obey as a member of the nation to the command 
of national mourning and repentance that was issued by God through the mouth of the prophet. Not that he needed to repent himself, but that he needed to identify himself with the people. Let me read to you um, a commentator that I think uh, really drives this point uh, clearly. It's an older commentary, uh, Brodus, and he says this. If one so deeply, though either too quite devo quietly devout, had stayed away from the ministry and baptism of the new prophet, he would have been setting a very bad example, unless explained. An explanation for his future position and work could not be, then be given, even if it was then entirely plain to his own mind. Notwithstanding the peculiar mission of John and Jesus, he was becoming that they should fully perform every righteous deed. By submitting to the baptism, he was identifying with the people. Uh, as I said, I, uh, there is a, another situation that he could claim exemption from the payment of temple contributions, but so that he wouldn't face the accusation uh, that it was, this wouldn't be used as an excuse for them rejecting him. He paid it. There is still another reason, and that's the spiritual meaning of all of this. It was important for Jesus to be baptized because it was at Jesus' baptism that we find what is recorded for us in verse 16 and 17. And there is something spiritual uh, happening here. As we've seen, there is the identification but at the, the spiritual meaning also provides us with anointing uh, with a, and with an approval. The first point has already been explained from the, the, the last few, uh, in the last uh, few verses. But now we analyze the other two. Number one, you have the anointing. Verse 16 says that when he had been baptized, Jesus came immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens opened to him. There is um, remnants here of how in Ezekiel the heavens were opened to the prophets. Uh, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. The heavens opened. There is this restored uh, connection between heaven uh, and, and, and earth. There, there is a being torn open, being opened. Uh, and the Spirit comes. And the Spirit alights, the Spirit rests upon Jesus. It is interesting. It's quite difficult to, to understand the, the, the full significance of this event. I won't bore you with, the, with the, the list of different reasons or different explanations that, that have been given over the years. But there was this one commentator uh, that I was reading through in the, this week that he, he had this list of 14 reasons or of 14 different ways that people have interpreted the, the meaning of, of the Spirit descending upon Christ. I think the, the most compelling one and I think the, most, uh, the, the correct one is that Jesus needed to be anointed because he was the king. And that is the theme of of the, of the book of Matthew. It's the coming of the king. It was important for him to be the Messiah, which means the anointed, to have a, an anointing ceremony. And just like his father David, our Lord Jesus got anointed in preparation for that ministry years 
before he actually was crowned as king. You remember that, that David was anointed as the future king of Israel. Was it seven years? It was before Samson, right? Samuel anointed him at the moment that Saul rejected or Saul sinned and God rejected Saul as king. David was then and there anointed by God as a mark that this is the future king of Israel. And it was important, it was necessary for this anointing to also happen to the Messiah, to the anointed one. But there is also, and I've struggled on how to bring this out in the, in the message, and I don't think I, I've arrived at a very compelling, uh, clever way of mentioning this. But, but nonetheless, it is, I think, the, uh, a clear uh, allusion back to what happened in Genesis, to, to the creation of the world, where the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. As the Spirit of the Lord hovers over Jesus after he descended to the waters. There is a, a clear sense here of something, of a, of a new creation beginning. Of a, of a new work of, of creation. There is something here about the, the need as well of our Lord Jesus being uh, empowered by the Spirit. Even though he's the Son of God, he needed the, to start. It was necessary for him to be baptized as the start of his public ministry by the Spirit. And we now, and then even even in the next few verses, we we find after this event that Jesus then was led by the Spirit. It was a, a mark of the need uh, of every believer as well to be anointed and to be led by the Spirit. Even though he was a perfect man, even though the Lord Jesus was perfect, he did not give up the power of the Spirit to accomplish his work. So there is a need for anointing, and there is a need for approval as well. That's why it was necessary. Verse 17, we read that the Father, was, the voice of the Father was heard from heaven. One of the very few times, I, I, I always admire the, the people that say, oh, I heard God, God said this to me. Uh, and then you, you, you look at Scripture and you realize that even in Scripture, which records specific points of, of the revelation uh, uh, of, the, of the history of redemption, even in Scripture, it's very, very, extremely, I would say, rare for God to speak. There are very few instances that God speaks clearly in an audible voice. And this is one of those few, which again emphasizes the, the, the importance, the, the, the gloriousness of this singular event in human history. And what does the voice of God say? What does God say at that moment? This is my beloved son, son in whom I am well pleased. In a I think most preachers over the years have been in agreement that there is a, a conflation here of two verses being brought together from the Old Testament. The, one is Psalm number 2, the other is Isaiah uh, 42. Uh, that says that, that, Isaiah 42, that says that I have put my spirit on him. And uh, in Psalm uh, number 2, it is the the... God loving his son and being pleased with his son. 
that Jesus' baptism then, that is the, the spiritual significance of what's happening here, the, is, is this triune work being displayed for us. Son, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit present simultaneously. The Father speaks of Jesus in the third person, indicating that the Father and the Son are distinct persons. The, the Spirit alights upon Jesus, anointing him in his future work as a king. So the, this displays to us, as we come to the beginning, as we are at the beginning of the gospel, that this Jesus, he is the anointed one, he is the son of David. But more than that, because of the connotations that I believe are clearly here to, to, to creation, to Genesis 1 and 2, that Jesus is as well the new Adam. There is a new creation uh, happening. There is, there are, there, there is a, a, a theme that, of, of new creation here. And this is not just coincidence. Part of the reason why I struggle to maybe bring you this uh, in a uh, struggle to how to bring you this is that this is meant for us to be seen. And so often it, it is the case that there is no way to, to look at it. But we are meant to look at this. We are meant to see the, the, the patterns in the, in the Gospels that point us to, the, to what had gone on before in the Old Testament. That the Word of God is truly inspired. That no man was able, would be able to, to write it, uh, a, a story like this, to invent a, a fictional story this deep and this, uh, and this significant. And it should cause us to stand in awe of the scripture, to pay closer attention to it, to what it says to us. So at Jesus' baptism, he identifies with his people. He is anointed for his ministry, for his work. And he is shown to be approved by the Father. And then the question to, to finish off, and, and I'll, I'll be brief here, is how does this relate to us? The account of Jesus' baptism should speak to us as well. What we refer to as Christian baptism, uh, as I said, has very little uh, to do with Christ's baptism. We sometimes hear it said uh, of, by people in, uh, when they're being baptized, oh, I'm, I'm following in the footsteps of my Lord. Jesus was baptized. I also want to be uh, baptized. And that is not theologically correct. Because Jesus' baptism was once in a time event, transitory. It was to fulfill all righteousness. It was to anoint him uh, as, as, uh, as, as the future king. And when we are being baptized, we're not fulfilling all righteousness. We're not being identified with John's baptism. We're not putting our stamp of approval in, in John's baptism. We are baptized in the... Uh, in a completely different way from John's baptism as well. If Christian baptism then is not related in any way to John's uh, baptism or to Jesus' baptism, what is the purpose of Christ's baptism? Well, we are baptized into Christ. 
We are uh, brought uh, or displaying what, what is true inwardly in an outward form, that we are in unity with Christ. We are displaying, in that sense, you can, you can have some parallels, although not in, in parallel, but as a consequence. We are displaying that in baptism, we have died to self, and we are raised to walk in newness of life, that there is a work of new creation that has happened in us. And in that sense, there is a relation to Jesus' baptism. That there is a, an element that as we are baptized, we are being welcomed into a community of believers. In that sense that heaven and earth are being connected. That we've become identified with this community of believers. That we receive a new name. We receive a new, uh, a new identity. That in, Jesus, that in our baptism, it, we're, we're saying um, that we die to the world and we are uh, living for God alone now. Just as in a, in a sense, as Jesus gets baptized, and it, that's a, 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 a connection that perhaps is a little bit uh, on, the, on the tenuous side, that in a sense, as Jesus is baptized, he's saying, this is the inauguration of the beginning of my life in, for God that will end in my death. At our baptism, we pick up from that. We begin with, with our, in our death to self, and we say, now I live for God. That's what's happening in our baptism. We're publicly declaring that Jesus is the, the one who saved us from, from our sins. We're publicly declaring our trust in his death, burial, and resurrection for our salvation. We're providing a testimony to the world, identifying us with him in a public way. There are parallels, but it is not the same thing. It is us accepting and publicly testifying to the unique mission and the unique calling of God in our lives. And for 2,000 years, this baptism of our... It's interesting as well that here at the beginning of Matthew, you find the three persons of the Trinity at the baptism of Jesus. And then what, how does the book of Matthew end? With the Great Commission and the institution of the Christian baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there's, there's a bridge there for you. Our baptism represents our trust in this triune God, in the, in the work performed and accomplished by our Lord Jesus. Our baptism represents that that work has been applied to us by the Spirit, that we've been baptized with the Spirit and with fire. And if we chase that stream up uh, to its fountain, we will find that the only reason why we have uh, come to do so is because the Father in eternity past has elected us for his, uh, according to his loving kindness, not for something that we had done, but so that his name would be praised as our Savior. That's what's happening at baptism. And the question for us this evening is how do we respond to the message 
of the Savior. It is not about anything else. Have we responded to the message of the Savior? Have we uh, trusted in Him alone? Have we come, have we come to the waters in, in obedience to His command, in display of what He has done in our lives? That is the question. The, the, the question is not what you profess to be or how religious you think you are. The question is not uh, how do you relate to the, to, to, to the church. The question is how do you, what is your, the, the nature of your relationship with the Son of God, the one to whom the Father testified that he is loved by him. That his soul is well pleased in him. That is the, the great question this evening for us in considering this passage. What is our relationship with the one whom God said that he was well pleased with? Because at its heart, Christianity, true Christianity, let me put it like this, true biblical Christianity is about our relationship with Jesus. It's not about the performance of duties. It's not about religious, outward religious uh, uh, obedience. It's about our relationship with him. If you are in Christ, if you have embraced Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with him, then you, because you are in him, the Father delights in you as well. Just like he delights in his son. For we have become brothers and sisters of Christ. If you are joined with him, if you are in union with Christ, then the love of the Father is your, is your, for the Son is the love of the Father for you. And that is a thought that is too, too deep to be fathomed. That infinite love should be ours. But the, the problem is if you're apathetic about it, if you're dismissive about it, if there is no relationship and no union between you and Christ. You see, because if there is a, a sense that when Christ, uh, when the Father says of his Son, Christ, uh, of our Lord Jesus, this is my Son. And if you say of his Son, no, I don't want your Son. That is a very precarious position to be in. If you say you reject him, because there are only two options. Either you embrace his beloved Son or you reject him. If you say you reject him. The word from the Father is that you are rejected as well. If you don't confess, if you don't embrace him, there is no way you can be loved by him. You either reject him or, and perish in your sins, or you embrace him and receive the full treasures and benefits of the adoption in him. So have you embraced him? Have you trusted in him? 
Are you, are you apathetic towards him? Are you waiting for a more appropriate time? You really haven't made up your mind yet. You need to study a little bit more. You need to, to meditate upon it a little bit more. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Embrace the one that God the Father has identified as his son, in whom he is well pleased, and he will receive the forgiveness of your sins.